it's Sonia and welcome back to another episode of Men Explain. We have a super special guest here today and he wears many hats by the way i'm super impressed he is not just an economist a professor a husband a father he's james lim welcome well thank you thank you for having me i'm not so sure if i deserve that extensive introduction but yes i wear many hats but i think many of us do these days tell us more about yourself i mean aside from all the stuff that we already know these days i like to think of myself primarily as a father mm -hmm. uh, rather than anything else and i see that as my uh, main contribution mm -hmm. to the extension of some some legacy if you yeah. will of course i i also am uh, a representative in uh, Sengkang, so that's uh, a big part of my duties and i'm also a teacher and educator at a university how do you do all that, man? Seriously. Uh, you don't get as much sleep as you like. <laughs> you ask for indulgence, especially from family. So mm -hmm. thankfully, my daughter, she's two and a half, so she doesn't quite understand um, the idea of compromise quite yet. So I take advantage of that while, right. while she isn't always as demanding of time. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure you get to spend a little bit more time with her, like on the weekends, especially like how do you juggle that? Yeah, so uh, yeah. There's, there's quite a bit of trying to integrate mm. um, activities that I have to do both for my official duties as yeah. well as uh, just spending time with the family. So yeah. one of the things, for instance, last weekend, mm. uh, one of the things that we do is we walk around the estate yeah. and we just make sure that everything is in order. So last week, I was able to bring uh, my family with me mm -hmm. and so she got to play at the playground, inspect the mm. the playground while I went about doing my regular That's duties. That's important, inspecting the playground. It's a key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So job. it's yeah. a proof of concept. Yeah. And make <laughs> my money is literally where my mouth is. So <laughs> we got to make sure that uh, things are uh, up, you know, in, in shape and yeah. safe. More importantly, so. look, you know, being a politician that entails a lot. I'm sure, and you know, it's almost like a twenty four seven sort of job for you as well as we were talking about earlier. Tell us a fun fact about yourself, like maybe from the past. You know, tell us a bit more before you became who you are right now. People who know me mm -hmm. think of myself as rather boring. I like to do very boring professorial things. Okay, like, wait, wait, wait. What is that? What's the definition of boring things? Well, I, I like to read. Uh, okay. I, and, and unfortunately, I don't have as much of a fascinating kind of literary diet. I just end up reading more economics and finance, <laughs> okay. uh, which is what I do professionally. And I think that's interesting because when I was younger, it wasn't mm. the case. I think people change over time. As I got into a profession that was a little bit more introverted, mm -hmm. and I became more introverted prior to that I was very much an outdoor person. I was in a uniform group. I was, mm. uh, I played sport. So those were definitely more extroverted kind of activities. And it was only much more recently when I started becoming an academic, mm -hmm. a quintessential solo activity, where even the nature of sport I yeah. started to do uh, became a lot more solitary. So I picked up hiking a lot more. Um, I became very comfortable hiking by myself. Uh, in the mountains. I think it speaks to the capacity of people to adapt and change. And, and I think it's important because we bucket ourselves into one particular category. And mm. I think it's important for us to actually look beyond that and, and be comfortable pushing the boundaries of what you might have kind of pigeonholed yourself mm. into. So it, it started that way yeah. as an uh, adaptation. But then 
I started opening up a lot more to just enjoying, just appreciating what I was doing, mm. being present. Oh, I think sometimes we yeah. forget that. Um, yes. And being present, it doesn't come as naturally these mm. days because you find that sometimes you are being inefficient with your time when you're not actively doing something or good. But what are we doing most of the time? We are scrolling through an endless feed. <sighs> And and yeah, that's not that. yeah, and that, that's not entirely efficient, right? So no. being able to be present, just to appreciate uh, what's going on around you, uh, there's value in that that we sometimes have forgotten. I totally agree. I mean, with the mindfulness practice, with you know being present. Um, so just a sidetrack. I spent a couple of weeks in the U.S. just for vacation. I went on a sabbatical. I decided to just take a break from social media. Mm. And I, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to post anything. I'm not going to report what I've been doing or like the fun stuff that I'm up to. I did take like 500,000 pictures, but I didn't really post much. And as a result, my followers are like, are you okay? Like, you haven't posted in a very long time. Like, are you alive? <laughs> What's going on? I'm like, I don't need to mm. validate that all yeah. the time. So I see where you're coming from. But on that note of traveling, I mean, you spend a lot of time overseas mm. as well, right? A, a big bulk of your time prior to being more based here in Singapore. You were overseas. So how did you sort of manage that? You know, juggling between career, personal relationships. Like, can we really have it all? Well, I don't know about having it all. Mm. I think if you're obsessed about that, then you may be putting quite a bit of stress on yourself. Mm -hmm. I think the idea is uh, to set goals, aspirations, and then just go ahead and do it. I left after NS, and so I probably spent about the same number of years outside of Singapore as I have in Singapore. But, of course, I'm a creature of what I was while I was here. So my formative years were all here, I think, like a Singaporean. And yet, um, being away from home makes you embrace a little bit more who you are and, and builds a certain kind of understanding of what it is to be who you are. You need to find a level of comfort mm -hmm. with yourself, being by yourself. So Singaporeans, we're quite social creatures. So up till the time I was away, I would never do social activities like watching a movie mm -hmm. or going to a restaurant by myself. You always did it with friends, yeah. right? Even if it was dragging someone like a colleague with you for lunch. Begging you would, someone to come. At the very least do that. You would me. never have a lunch by yourself. And so I learned how to be a bit more introspective, mm -hmm. a bit more reflective about just being comfortable with who I was. And I, I think that was valuable because it allows me to understand full well what yeah. my limits are, my what I'm comfortable doing, what I'm not comfortable doing. If I decided to go beyond my usual comfort level, uh, what I could achieve. And it's a lot of self-discovery as well, which in turn affects your relationships, I don't know, in the future. But, you know, when it comes down to career and relationships, do you think they directly affect each other? Because I personally feel when I was, you know, doing badly in my personal life, for mm -hmm. example, like, you know, just not with the right person, not in the right place, fighting a lot. It kind of affected my productivity or my focus mm -hmm. at work and stuff, mm -hmm. you know. So in, in that sense, it kind of did have a reaction mm -hmm. in both ways. So what do you think about this relationship between your career and your personal life? Are they directly intertwined? Inevitably. We are humans, social creatures with emotions. Yeah. And in fact, if something were not to be all right at home, whether it is with my immediate family, my wife, my daughter, or even with your extended family, if you know that you have a family member that is ill mm. or going through a difficult time, uh, it will always hang. 
at the back of your mind yeah. and it will always have an effect. We are professionals in, in many things that we do, so you often have to just get on with the job. But I think to the extent that it is something you can control or manage, you try to make sure that those things are taken care of. Yeah. And I think the way to make sure that they are taken care of is uh, to ensure that you schedule and devote time mm. to taking care of those things. Like. So as I mentioned, weekends often, uh, yeah. a fair chunk of that time is spent with uh, family and, and making sure that they get their dedicated time mm -hmm. because during the week, especially weeknights, uh, so much of what I do have to do with being in yeah. uh, Singkang. So yeah. when I make sure that things are taken care of at home, then I feel much more comfortable yeah. uh, dis discharging my other responsibilities mm. and duties. In the past, maybe when you were younger, as a student or anything, have you ever found yourself in a place where you felt you had to decide between a relationship and work? Have you ever been in that dilemma before? As you know, I left um, Singapore and I went to pursue my studies abroad. And yeah. during one of those periods, I was in a relationship mm. prior to to leaving and uh, we had a long distance relationship for mm. five years. Wow, so five it, years, it that a, went on, yeah. It was a long time. For much of that time, we, we kind of made it work. She herself uh, was going through her undergraduate studies, mm -hmm. so she went abroad and so we met up. We were a bit too young to confess <laughs> that we were supposed to meet up or not. So we may <laughs> or may not have met up uh, okay. in between. So, but in, in any case, we would commit to meeting up, say every, three months or so, three okay. or four months, just because the, the physical connection, it's especially in a, you're in a relationship, yeah. is important. As it turns out, that, that relationship didn't endure, but people make these kind of decisions all the time. Prior to my, my first job uh, out of grad school, I was in a small liberal arts college, and uh, there I was also in a relationship with someone there, and then an opportunity came up mm -hmm. to go to Washington, D.C. to work, cool. and... It was a difficult decision. I spent a lot of time mulling over it because it was about giving up a relationship, but at the same time, uh, taking on an exciting challenge. and interesting yeah. opportunity. So, you know, everyone makes their own calculations. And then you make that decision. You try, of course, to make one thing work or the other. In the end, that one, that relationship didn't work either. Mm. Uh, but again, I think you, you don't make that decision flippantly, right? Yeah. You make that decision with consideration and then you commit to it and you try your level best to make sure that both sides of that decision are taken care of. But, you know, I was in my early 30s and like many people in the early 30s, you tend to prioritize career and, and, and professional goals a little bit more because you feel that uh, that's your time to make a mark. And so, yeah, unfortunately that relationship ended up being the casualty do you think it's like really related to the phase of your life like right now in this point in time if you were to be asked to relocate overseas or you know go work there for mm. six months to a year i don't know would that be something that you're comfortable with or right. how are you gonna have that conversation well so i'm stuck here until yeah. <laughs> until the next election cycle, yeah, 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 i suppose yeah. um, you're not going anywhere for I'm now i'm not going anywhere for <laughs> yeah, now yeah. Uh, but uh, when, when you say phase of life, it's not a function of age. It's mm. a function of where you are in your life, right? Exactly, so yeah. if you are in your early 20s, but you have settled down, you have a marriage, you have a kid, and you have an apartment, mm. then that you are in that phase of life, and it becomes a joint decision. You yeah. can't say, I'm going to spend a few years... Uh, 
chasing professional yeah. goals to the detriment of what you had already yeah. previously committed to. Then, you know, when you make a decision on where to go, it becomes a joint decision. Mm. So before leaving DC, I was headhunted and the offer was to go to Abu Dhabi to spend mm. some time there. And at that time, I was already married mm. and so in a committed relationship with my wife. So I couldn't just say, well, look, this thing doubles my salary. So let me just, <laughs> let, let me go and you yeah. stay here in DC and enjoy your time. And, yeah. you know, it was a joint decision. Mm. And when my wife was open to that possibility, then it opened that possibility. Cool. Everyone, I think, when they are in a certain phase of their life, make decisions yeah. uh, that have to do with the people that depend on them and that matter to them. My father, mm. he had a tremendous opportunity when he was in his 30s, mm. uh, when um, the studio that he was working for in Singapore closed down. And at the time, uh, the Singapore music scene wasn't as developed. And so he received an offer to go to Taiwan nice. to continue pursuing his career. And it was a great opportunity. Uh, but at that time, uh, I was already born and he made that decision that mm. he wanted me to be educated within the Singapore system to have English as mm. Uh, my primary language and uh, and so he gave that up mm. so i think different people will have to weigh what matters to them but ultimately as i suggested it is it becomes a joint decision that's a great example to be honest so when i when i was in la i had this conversation with my friends because you know the media scene in la is so popping right like there's literally so much going on there the support there is tremendous even though it's quite saturated you know Everybody goes to LA because you want to achieve a dream or you want to pursue something that you, maybe you didn't get a chance to back in your country. So my friends were asking me, they were like, hey, have you ever considered working in LA or pursuing something overseas? Doesn't have to be LA, could be anywhere. And through the people that I met in LA, I started to kind of think of that possibility. And it was just like, kind of nagging at mm. me, you know, at the back of my head. But likewise, I'm also in a relationship. It's been a few years already. And we also had this conversation because he said, you know, you you never got a chance to do that overseas, right? And, you know, it could be the kind of thing where you don't want to resent not being able to have that opportunity to potentially pursue, like, something big mm. in LA. But to us, I don't know whether it might be a deal breaker at this point in time. Um, and I don't know if you are tuning in right now, any young couples tuning in, whether this could be a deal breaker if your partner, not married yet, goes, hey, I want to spend six months to a year working overseas, but I know that you have a job in Singapore. So what kind of advice would you then give us in this position? More and more, by the way, millennials and, and Gen Zs, um, I don't know whether it's related to the pandemic as well, want to pursue something overseas. In fact, we have a crew member who is pursuing something in Korea, like right now. Hmm. What kind of advice do you have for us? Well, so I, as I mentioned yeah. earlier on, one of the key things is to make sure that you, and, and this is purely on a practical basis, make yeah. sure that you physically get together every now and then. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's crucial. I think to manage one's expectations, mm. if you're going to say, okay, I want to spend some time overseas, what is that? Is that six months? Is mm -hmm. that a year? Um, is that several years? Oh, man, and yeah. what is the comfort level for each of you uh, to spend that amount mm -hmm. of time? Your partner may say, okay, this is a tremendous opportunity. I want to support you in mm -hmm. this. You should go ahead, but I don't think we can be apart for three years. Then it becomes, well, yeah. would you 
be willing to do it for a shorter period of time. So mm. that's why it's a joint decision. You yeah. should definitely talk things yeah. through. But more generally, I mean, I hope one day we will develop ourselves and Singapore, that is, as a place where we no longer have to feel the need to uh, go overseas necessarily mm. just to get good opportunities. So that was the case certainly when I was younger. If you wanted to be a professional economist uh, in, say, the front office of uh, an investment bank, mm. that was very challenging at the time when I first graduated. Yeah. And so it was natural for me to pursue those opportunities abroad. But we have since developed as a financial center and a wealth management center. And that has meant that it's become, at least for my profession, a lot easier to make that decision that, you know, maybe the very best opportunities may still be mm -hmm. in New York or London, but nevertheless, we can hold our own. So same for the media landscape for you guys. If we can make ourselves uh, a yeah. much more attractive uh, media hub, creative arts hub, that itself will ensure that we remain uh, enticing yeah. enough to have here as a base. You, you, you might still want to spend some time abroad just to the gain the experience, yeah. gain the exposure, but you don't feel that you have let something pass you by the way that my father had uh, just because you are based in Singapore. Mm -hmm. All fair points. And I think, you know, it's the kind of thing where you have to revisit every once in a while in a different phase of your life. It changes also, like, what you want to do. Sometimes I don't even know what I want to do, like, in my current phase of life. I still question that every once in a while. But on that note, obviously, you know, you touched on the long-distance relationships. You touched on a lot of sacrifice and stuff, like, with the, the example of your dad, too. What would you say was your biggest sacrifice? Having to travel around for work, juggling all this, would you be able to identify the biggest sacrifice you've had to make? Keeping in mind that there's a little bit of recency bias mm -hmm. in all this, it's not so much a sacrifice for myself, but it's a sacrifice that, of course, my family has had to make, yeah. which is that after having been elected, it became such that a lot of my evenings uh, could no longer be spent with my mm -hmm. family. So, yeah. and, and that could be in just very what may seem like fairly minor things. Mm -hmm. So uh, when my daughter was first born, we were all still in lockdown. And so it was very easy to spend extended period of time. Yeah. We went for walks every day. In fact, everyone was going for walks every day, if you yeah. recall, because that's the only, the thing only <laughs> way could you do. could get out of the house. By the way, so, all the bicycles sold out yeah, <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> exactly. So so we, we spent an extended period yeah. of time. And, and during that phase, uh, mm. I would read to her every night. And of course, she was too young to struggle on my arms, so she had no choice but to. What were you uh, reading? To? So yeah, not 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 exactly age appropriate stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was reading, you know, stuff that was meant for four or five year olds, but I I didn't care. I okay. it was a way for me. It was like, well, every new word is a new word after yeah, all. So yeah. might as well expose her to that. But anyhow, then after the election, it turns out that I was no longer able to do that. Mm. And interestingly, recently she has started to bring books to me and say, Daddy, can you... Well, oh. she, she doesn't say, Daddy, can you, because she's not quite verbal yet. But she <laughs> gets actions. the book and she, <laughs> yeah, 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 and she yeah. gives it to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so more recently, she yeah. started to rekindle that. Before, there was a period of time before she turned two mm. um, when she just was really resistant. She would struggle on my arms. And I felt that I lost something there. Oh. So um, it's, it's the thing, the, the kind of little sacrifices that add up and mm. make you realize that, well, I, I need to make sure that uh, I see the big picture all the time and I keep 
the priorities where they really should be, as we discussed earlier. Yeah. You know, if you make sure that things are good and working out at home, then everything else will fall into place. Mm -hmm. And if things are not in equilibrium at home, then you know that no matter how much you are uh, killing it in the office, something will still be missing. And, and yeah. it's important to recognize that. So are you trying to fit in more reading schedules in between now, now that you know that you're busier and you know, you've got things to do during that particular time, how are you going to fit that in more then? So yeah, we try. Yeah. Uh, I, I try my, my level best to spend time reading to her. But it's, again, it's not just uh, reading. Reading is of just course, one example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is being able to spend quality time yeah. with them, you know, at every age, they, before you have a kid, you, you always hear this. They grow up so fast. And yeah. once that time goes by, you it's can't gone. Have it back or, yeah. And it's never real yeah. until it's, it is. <laughs> and when it is, you might be so busy that you don't recognize it. And mm. I think it's important to pause and take a deep breath and to recognize that these things uh, are real yeah. and that you really shouldn't give up mm. what may seem trivial, just a couple of minutes here and there, you know, just an hour or so. It, it, they, they are valuable. And yeah. once they are gone, they, you can never recover them. That's an interesting thing because due to the nature of my job, I also work very odd hours. And sometimes I don't have weekends to myself or you know with my family and stuff. And also dinner, I usually don't have it with my family because I finish work at like, I end work at maybe nine mm -hmm. every day. And during my sabbatical of two months, I hung out more with my parents mm. and I realised how much they aged. It's not just about kids growing up, it's also our parents and our folks and mm -hmm. grandparents or whoever ageing. And it became so obvious to me when I managed to spend a little bit more time with them. So yeah, a little bit of a sidetrack, but I think that is definitely something I no, noticed yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So uh, my, my mother lives with us yeah. and um, she's a great cook, but she cooks mostly Eastern cuisine. Mm. Uh, but she really loves pasta, for instance. Okay. And I think it's quite straightforward, but she finds it, she has this mental block, right? Okay. She, she just cannot cook anything <laughs> that isn't from the East. Okay. Um, so she has cravings. And the thing is that she tries to be understanding and not ask. So I've, I've tried to uh, impress on her that, you know, you, sometimes you should just ask. Mm -hmm. And uh, when she does it triggers something in me that says, oh, you know, I, I really haven't cooked forever. Yeah. And and so, in fact, last night, so I ended up uh, cooking last nice. night. And, and that was in part because she does this kind of, I wouldn't say it's passive-aggressive, but it's this... You can this, say it's fine. It's this indirect... <laughs> oh, I haven't had pasta for a long oh, okay. time. Okay, it's like a hint, <laughs> hint. Yeah. So you, you have to recognize that as, Pick it up. <laughs> as, as a scream for help uh, to for me to actually provide yeah. that. And, and so so I, I've learned uh, that yeah, she's too old to kind of expect her to be a lot more direct. So that's mm -hmm. just her style. And so when you recognize that in, in your parents, there are little idiosyncrasies for yeah. how they they are expressing what they what they really would like. Then you try to satisfy that. So yeah, I ended up cooking last night and mm -hmm. she enjoyed it. And oh, yeah, you make a big batch and she can have leftovers as well. <laughs> so I mean, on that note, obviously, you know, you've been back in Singapore for a bit now. Um, and I'm sure you're enjoying, you know, the local food and everything. Was it a tough decision for you to move back to Singapore and decide this is going to be like my base. Well, if it was just the food, no. <laughs> yeah, so, that's a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah, so like most Singaporeans who are based 
abroad, you come back every mm. number of years, yeah. right? In fact, I came back at least once a year, during which I would stuff my face for of that course. one and a half weeks, put <laughs> on a few kilos. Uh, but it was, by and large, you, you, you do have to make choices mm -hmm. about uh, what the opportunities are and so on and where you, as we were discussing, what phase you are in your yeah. life and what, what you like to do. Uh, a big part of coming back was family. Yeah. So my mother was getting older and so it was something where I felt uh, an extended period of time spent with her was valuable. Of course, it's a bit trickier in my, in my case because... Uh, my wife, her mother is based in the U.S., so oh. being closer to my mother inevitably means she's further from hers. Yeah. Uh, we had spent quite a bit of time in the U.S. already, so uh, it was a little bit of a compromise yeah. uh, for her to come over on this part. So, again, compromise. sacrifices on both yeah. sides. But then, yeah, inevitably, you you have to recognize that in this case, I have been the big beneficiary of... Uh, my wife's generosity, but at other times, uh, you have to recognize that she is far from her family. So when she is, uh, when she really needs to visit her family, you have to make it happen. Make it happen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what obviously what we are collecting here, all the information that we've been talking about today, the sacrifice, you know, the compromise, communication is so mm. key. I mean, I know we always talk about this, communicating it, but I think some people don't communicate it enough. And that's how, you know, we get into tiffs and fights and it becomes a deal breaker when it doesn't actually have to be, right? I learned very early on, um, and again, this is not unique to me. It's just wise words from, from generations before that you never let... Uh, well, this was in the Bible. Ne don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It's uh, you. You don't have an argument that you think you will sleep on it and everything will be fine in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, you resolve it, and, and you don't allow that to fester. Yeah. Um, so I think since my relationship began with my, I wasn't always like this, by the way. When I was a teenager, like most teenagers, you had these <laughs> massive slam down the phone kind of, of fights when, when you could still slam down phones. But yeah, no, I think it's important not to allow disagreements. And sometimes it's not comfortable, right? You'd rather not talk it through. Yeah. Uh, but I think that is crucial to just swallow your pride and not... Think about, oh, the last time I was the one that oh, that no. broke the silence. No, no, yeah. you don't do that. You just say, no, we don't want to have this silence between us. We Let's talk it out. And yeah. it may not be easy breaking this, this Cold War, if you will. But I think when you do approach it with generosity, mm -hmm. uh, what you'll find is that uh, you don't have these kind of long extended arguments. And that overall makes for a much healthier relationship. So I, I'm happy to say that in general with my wife, it's not that we don't have disagreements, mm. it's that we do not allow these disagreements to, to fester Become over bigger, time. Yeah. yeah, No, I totally agree because obviously we've matured over the years and you know we grow into a different phase as well and we become a little bit more developed in terms of how we think and like how we deal with our emotions and all that. I used to be so hot-headed in relationships. Sometimes when I look back, I'm like, who is that? Like, it's such an ugly person you know in terms of behavior but we all grow out of it somehow right you know in in a lot of ways so to wrap things up do you have any other final advice for <laughs> I, know, I know this is always like a daunting question 
Because you've experienced quite a lot in terms of, you know, the long distance relationships. You've had to, you know, go through lots of compromise as well to get to where you are today. Mm. Anything else that you would like to share with our audience? I think we've learned so much today from your stories as well. Perhaps I'll say it's, and again, this is a bit cliche. Mm-hmm. Uh, We're here but for it. It is, it is about uh, seizing the moment mm-hmm. when opportunities present themselves. Yeah. Sometimes we feel that we are not up to it. We we face uh, a sense of what's what sometimes referred to as imposter syndrome. Like we, we aren't prepared to take those things on. If an opportunity presents itself, almost always, uh, it isn't just purely by chance. Mm. You are often in a position where you are good enough to do it. Um, you may not be as confident that you will be able to do it, but the trick is to go ahead and embrace that. Mm. Uh, give it your very best shot, right? Yeah. And if if it's not good enough, then the universe will work itself out and, and you will no longer be doing that for very long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, to the extent that you decide not to pass it up, to seize the opportunities that come along, of course, uh, subject to all the things that we discussed, which is, you know, you have to make these decisions jointly if there's a significant other or others in your life. Uh, and once that you have decided to embrace it, then just go ahead and do it and do it to the very best of your ability so that you never look back thereafter and say, well, I wish I mm. had done it better. I wish I had put in a little bit yeah. more effort. You put in your very best, and if it wasn't good enough, then you just say, well, I was not suited for that, yeah. but at, I, I have no regrets whatsoever mm. doing that because I chose to seize those opportunities, to seize uh, the day. Yeah. Uh, so that that's, again, dead poet society, I, I suppose I am an educator. <laughs> so carpe diem, there you go. You know, I, I, I would say the one thing that I picked up that I will keep with me is you saying that we need to manage each other's expectations when it comes to like your significant other or your partner, right? Because if I'm going to be like, oh, I'm going to be here for a year, but it becomes like three, four, five years, then that's going to be an issue. So... I think that's my main takeaway from it as well. Yes, managing and, and, expectations. And, and make sure that you're not always managing theirs and yeah. expecting them not to manage yours, right? Exactly. So, so you should also uh, be entirely cognizant of yeah. what you are asking from the other person. Yeah, well, 100%. Thank you so much for sharing all your thoughts you're with welcome. us. You know, that was really cool to also see you in a different light and a different way, sitting down, chatting with us. It was pretty surreal, I think, for the entire team as well to be here chatting with you. Well, so, I'm thank you. who I am, so yes. thank you for having me. It's fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Men Explain. Now, if you liked it, please hit the follow button. We drop new episodes every alternate Tuesday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Me Listen. Also, if you haven't already done so, why haven't you? Please follow us at itsclarity.co on Instagram and TikTok for more content like this. See you next episode. Catch you guys later. Bye.